If I came uh, to your home and visited your home, when I got ready to leave, I would follow a tradition that I was taught by my dad. I would probably ask you if I could if I could offer a word of prayer, if I could bless your home. And you would say, why, of course. Uh, and I would probably pray something like this. I would probably pray that the ways of God would be known and loved in your home. Uh, Psalm 67 and verse 2. It says this, it says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that the ways of God may be known upon earth. Now, one of the ways of God that should be known by his people is not something that we talk about much. It's not something that we teach about much. I want to talk about it today. And that is the discipline of God. It's a part of God's father-like character to discipline his children just like a good father would graciously carefully wisely patiently train and discipline and teach his children now you see this in in psalm 78 which is our text and if you've been around here much you probably heard me tell a story i like to tell about one of my daughters one of our daughters heidi once who was on the other side of the barn and I called for her to come and she didn't come and as a result of that she was injured, if you recall that story. And I wrote that story up and I've told that story 200, 300 times. And I wrote it up and I submitted it to an editor, uh, a, a lady, of a, a major uh, publisher, uh, she's good, a, good, a nice lady, a good editor, uh, her name was Alice. She said on the phone to me one day, she says, now I read that story, and that's quite a story, but we know that God doesn't work that way. She says, we know God doesn't work that way. In other words, she was suggesting that um, I said to her, the reason that God allowed my daughter to get injured was because she didn't come when I called. And God was probably teaching her to obey her dad. And Alice said, I don't think God works that way. But whoever wrote Hebrews said, God does work that way. And today I want to show you that, that with the idea that not only would this be something that you have a clear understanding of, an understanding how the living God has worked in your life in discipline, but that you'd be able to teach this to your children or your grandchildren or any other younger people that in the next generation, that they would understand the ways of God, especially in this area of discipline. And the scriptures in general, and this psalm specifically command us to pass the ways of God and the reality and our stories of the reality of the living God onto our children. God wants us to be able to tell personal stories about how God provided for us. God wants us to be able to tell personal, give a personal testimony and tell personal stories about how God's protected us in our life. God wants us to be able to tell specific personal stories about how God has directed us in our lives. But he, and those are the good stories. Those are the great stories. Those are the happy stories we love to tell about provision and direction and protection. But listen to what I'm going to tell you. The, Psalm 78 has over 70 verses in it. And most of Psalm 78 is basically saying this. And don't forget to tell them the hard stories about the time you went off the rails 
and I had to bring you back. Don't forget to tell them about the times when you disobeyed me and I had to lovingly discipline you and train you and teach you and correct you. And this is, by the way, very important because here's what we tend to do. Sometimes we make light of our sin. Sometimes we actually celebrate our youthful indiscretions. And the problem with that is the next generation is listening while we do that. But the way God wants us to, he doesn't want us to ignore those sins. And he certainly doesn't want us to romanticize those times. What he wants us to do is to tell the hard stories about what it's like when you disobey the Father and how the Father gently and persistently, providentially, initially maybe he whispers in your ear and then maybe he raises his voice and then maybe things get more difficult for you because he is not going to let his children stray Without going out, he's the good shepherd. Go out and find you and bring you back. And if it's necessary for you to have an injury in order for you to learn a more important lesson, this is what the scriptures teach about God the Father. Now, understand this. This is the way that God works. I want to show you this today. And God wants us to be able to have in our own lives testimonies of God's discipline in our lives so that we can share those stories with the generations to come. And so I want to especially emphasize three things today. One is tell stories of God's discipline, of his, of his reproof. These are biblical words that we're using here. Of his chastisement. I want to draw a distinction, and we'll say this a bit more, between a chastisement or discipline and punishment. God has every right to punish the wicked. God has every right to punish all of us, to, to cast us ultimately into hell. He has every right to do that. And the scriptures say that is what he will do with those who persistently reject him. But this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about something different. We're talking about not punishment, but we're talking about reproof, correction, chastisement, discipline. In other words, hard things that God allows or brings into our life and they're for our good. More detail on that later. Right now, you might want to take your Bible and look at Psalm 78. And you'll notice this passage is in a beautiful way. It's teaching us to teach our children. Listen to the words of the passage. I'll open my mouth in a parable, verse 2. I'll utter dark sayings from of old, things we've heard and known and our fathers have told us. And we won't hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord, his might and the wonders that he has done. We've established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children that they would set their hope in God. Now, when you stop at verse 7, you've read all the happy part of that. But when you continue to read in verse 8, you move from the happy part to the hard part. Listen to verse 8. That they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn, rebellious generation, a generation whose heart is not steadfast, whose spirit is not faithful to God. The psalmist Asaph here is warning the people, don't do what those disobedient tribes did after God had blessed them and given them so much favor 
they resisted, they rejected God. They resisted God, don't do that. And, and then he says they turned back in the, the, using the term Ephraimites, another, uh, another word for those in the northern tribe or Israel and Israel in particular. They turned back in the day of battle. They didn't keep God's covenant. They refused to walk according to his law and they forgot his works and the wonders that he'd done. And then in verses 12 through 16, this is where he moves through a quick, a quick reminder of again, they passed through the water. Remember that they passed through the water on dry land and then the, the sea closed in on their enemies. He protected them. And then he provided for them. He, you know, remember that he gave them food from heaven and he provided what they need, needed. And then not only did he protect them, and he provided for them, but he had the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by He directed them. In your life, if you're a believer, you can look back in your life and you can tell stories about how God has protected you. In your life, if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, if God is your father, you can look back on your life and you can tell stories about how God has provided for you. Am I right? If you're a believer and God is your father, you can look back on your life and you can tell stories about God's direction in your life, how he's directed. And I will tell you this is true as well. If you're a believer and God is your father, you can look back on your life and you can tell stories about how God disciplined you, about how God allowed things to come into your life you really didn't like, but you really did need. And that's what this passage, where this passage goes next. Yet they sinned, verse 17, still more against him, and they rebelled against the Most High in the desert, and they tested God in their heart, and they demanded the food they craved. Look at verse 32. In spite of all this, after a long litany of good things he did, in spite of all this, verse 32, they sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. Verse 34, when he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the Most High, their Redeemer. After some of them actually died, others had the fear of God in their life. You say, wow, that... That's kind of shocking that the, the Bible, Old Testament and New warns us that God is a, a living God and to, be, uh, and to be respected. And he's capable of punishment. He's also capable of discipline. And so in the scriptures, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it teaches that there are people who could persistent believers who persistently disobey the Lord and he took them prematurely to heaven. So understand the scriptures are very plain, Old Testament and New, that God, if we're a child of God, God's gonna and what God's gonna discipline us. And 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 uh, so we need to tell stories of that discipline. Psalm 78 is saying that. Now the second thing that I want to emphasize to you is that we need to teach them how to recognize God's discipline. How do you know? When you're being disciplined by God, when you're being trained by God, when you're being reproved by God. And let me just cover this quickly. We can study this in depth at a later time. But just for now, you would know that God's discipline is on you if you have the, an inner voice of rebuke or a sense of conviction. A sense of conviction from the Holy Spirit is actually a gift from God. One of the first things that happens when a person disobeys God, a believer disobeys God, is the Holy Spirit is faithful to give them a, 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 a voice of conviction. Or it might be that somebody else would come along and would rebuke you or reprove you or warn you or exhort you. It might be your wife 
might be your husband, might be your children, might be uh, an authority in your life, might be a stranger on the street. The Bible says, though, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And so the discipline might take the form of an inner rebuke or it might take the form of a rebuke from someone else or discipline might take the form of relational pain, marriage tension, human conflict, war or national conflict. Uh, you might become the victim of crime or an immoral act committed against you that God can take something that was intended for evil and often does, something that's outside of his moral will and he can turn it for his own purposes and so there can be a disciplinary a good disciplinary effect in something bad that happens to you and this this is not something that you should see in a bad way but rather something that you should see in a good way recognizing god is so powerful in his divine providence he is so powerful he can take things that are evil and work them toward his good purposes, including disciplining us or training us. Uh, sometimes God in the Bible, you can read the Old Testament, you see it over and over again, that God would raise up a nation that was more evil than Israel to judge Israel because Israel had disobeyed. And after they had done their work, God had allowed them to do their work. Even like a godless king, Cyrus, was called God's servant. Even though he wasn't technically a servant of God, he served the purposes of God through his evil acts, his blasphemous acts, served the sovereign purposes of God in the people of God. These are the ways of God that you should understand. Otherwise, you'll see this soon. If you don't understand that, you will live in defeat and you will live in discouragement and you will not understand the difficult things that come into your life and how God uses them for good. You'll be and sad. Sometimes God will use natural disasters or plagues or political upheaval. Sometimes God will use, often God will use financial difficulty or financial reversal or tension or loss. For instance, a man, the Bible says if a man commits adultery, he'll be brought to a piece of bread. And so have a fairly well-to-do businessman and his business is just floating along nicely and he's just got lots of customers and he's making lots of money and somehow inexplicably his business takes a downturn and nobody understands why but God knows because he has a secret immoral life and God loves him is not going to let him continue in that and so he's touched he's and so he said, why would my business fail or somebody would look at this man and say look He's a Christian, his business is in it. Doesn't mean that everybody who has difficulty in business is being immoral. But in, my, in, the, in the case of my illustration, the Bible says that a moral man will be brought to a piece of bread. It's an example of the ways of God and how he works. Or here's another one that hits really close to home. He may allow us to suffer the effects of our own sinful choices. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, he will also reap. Or another way, of saying that would be, if you eat bad stuff long enough, you're probably going to have a bad health outcome. That's kind of like that. I was suffering a little over a year ago, suffering, I mean really suffering, in pain, in the night, and praying while I was suffering. I had this really terrible gout attack in my knees, and I was in such pain in the night that I was literally crying out to God. And I was like, God, can you please take this pain away from me? And, and don't misunderstand. It's almost like I heard no audible voice. It's almost like 
God said to my heart, Ken, how many times have you asked me to help you have discipline in your eating? This is the way I'm helping you. If you don't start eating better, it's just going to get worse. What if I die and I go to heaven and God says to me, Hey, Ken, I love you. Sorry about that gout thing, but I wanted you to pastor the Bethel Church till you were 80 and your heart was going to stop working. And so the pain of the gout made you eat the carrots more. You see what I was doing? Now, I'm just saying, you, you say, oh, God doesn't work that way. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And in my heart, I said, okay, Lord, I hear you. And so here I am telling a, a very difficult personal testimony to you, and, and you get to watch that play out right in front of you. Sorry for the personal story, kind of. But this is the way that God sometimes will take in our physical uh, health, and he will use, doesn't mean that every time a person is sick that they're being disciplined by God. The Bible doesn't teach that. But a discerning Christian asks God, God, is there something you're trying to teach me through this financial reversal? Is there something you're trying to teach me through this plague? Is there something you're trying to teach me through this difficult physical difficulty? Because God, I love you. I'm all ears. I'm your, I'm your, uh, I'm your child, and I'm glad to be your child. And I know that you're disciplining me for my own good. So sickness and death may have this, health issues. So, so here's the thing. What I'm getting at is this. If we want the next generation to know God, then we want in our own life to have a testimony of how God provided for us. In our own life, we want to have stories about how God protected us and stories about how God directed us and stories about how God disciplined us when we sinned. And we want to be precise in those stories. And this gives honor and glory to God. By the way, if we're unwilling to tell those stories of discipline, if we're unwilling to tell the hard stories, we're not giving glory to God. Because that looks like a hardship has come into our life. And we look like our Heavenly Father is responsible for mistreating us. And we would say, oh, no, no, no. I want you to know he wasn't mistreating me. He was, he was providing, he was directing, he was, he was correcting me, he was teaching me, he was training me. Now I want to show you this, and we'll probably come back to this later, but I want you to take your Bibles now, and I want you to see a very rich passage. It's from the Old Testament, and it's expounded upon in the book of Hebrews. So look in Hebrews chapter 12 in your Bible, and this is the third thing that you want to do for the generations to come. The first thing you want to do Tell stories, the hard, tell them the hard stories. And the second thing is, show them how, what that discipline might look like. Explain to them what that discipline might look like. Again, embedded in your story, you can help them see that. The third thing is, explain how this discipline works. Not only what it looks like, but show them how it works. Now to see this, you can see this so beautifully in a very helpful, rich text of the Bible in a book of Hebrews and chapter 12, where the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it was, but the writer of Hebrews is quoting one of the Proverbs. And, and notice what he's saying in Hebrews chapter 12. He's specifically stating, strongly implying that, that we're going to war against sin, sometimes to the point of shedding blood, that it's going to be a hard Donnybrook. It's going to be a real street fight against sin. And we're not going to waltz through this world without really have, without coming up against a, a, a real enemy. And this enemy is really even our own flesh. 
the things that war against the soul. And notice that it says here um, in verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, which implies in your struggle against sin, some people are going to shed blood. It's going to be a real, it's going to be a serious conflict, spiritual conflict. And so you're going to be tempted to be discouraged as you war against sin. And he's saying, don't be discouraged because God is at work in it. Notice what he says. Verse 7, I'm sorry, I'm in verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? This is from Proverbs. My son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or be weary when reproved by him. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. Ladies, you can say daughter in there too, altogether appropriate. God says, I am not going to neglect my children. When they need training, I'm going to train them. When they need correction, I'm going to correct them. When they need discipline, I'm going to discipline them. When they need food, I'm going to feed them. When they don't know where to go, I'm going to show them where to go. But when they disobey, I'm going to discipline them. I did not cheat ever. I wasn't even tempted to cheat on tests in college. I was never tempted to cheat on a test in college, ever. I never cheated on a test in high school. I was never even tempted to cheat on a test in high school. I, was, I never cheated on a test in junior high school. I was never even tempted, ever tempted to cheat on a test in junior high school. And I will tell you why. Because when I was in the second or third grade, almost on the last day of school, there was a spelling test I didn't prepare for. And so I wrote, the, I wrote those words on my desk so that I would remember them well when the test came. I thought it was a very creative thing to do. But my teacher disagreed. She thought it was dishonest. She said it was cheating. And this wonderful teacher that I had decided that my dad should know about my behavior. And so she wrote a nice note, and all the words were spelled correctly. And she sent that note home to my dad, and she said to my dad, you know, I think Kenny cheated on a spelling test. There were, I remember, 22 words on the spelling test. Guess how I spent my first day of the summer, writing at my first week of the summer, spending time out on the front porch, writing every one of those 22 spelling words 100 times. And you know why? Because my dad hated me. He despised me. I disgusted him. Am I right? Of course not. Because my dad loved me. And he cared about me. He didn't want me to cheat in college. And he didn't want me to cheat in life. And he didn't want me to cheat in college. And he didn't want me to cheat in high school. And he didn't want me to cheat in junior high. So right after the last day of my second or third grade, I spent that first entire week being disciplined by my loving father. If you're a child of God, you have a father who loves you. And when you sin, he's going to whisper in your ear. He's going to give you a little training. He's going to allow something to not go well in your life. He's going to bring something into your life to get your attention. You're going to be driving down the street one day, and that crazy neighbor of yours is going to put that repent sign out. You know, and you're going to look at that and think, that's ridiculous. And then you're going to think, but there is something I should repent of. Or your wife is going to nag you. Or your husband's going to be 
thoughtless to you. And you're going to tell God, why, God, do I have to put up with this thoughtless husband, this selfish husband? God, why? And God may whisper back to you, you know, that doesn't mean that what he's doing isn't sinful. But don't you think I'm big enough to use that in your life and to train you through this? This is my discipline. This is a part of my loving discipline for you. Things that other people just get discouraged and they decide to stop following the Lord. The child of God who's informed about God's ways and discipline doesn't get discouraged because she realizes, he realizes, no, this is God's loving hand in my life. This thing I don't like. Understand this. And that is that God, that discipline is going to take the form of something you don't like. Something that's a trial. Let me show you this. Um, It is for discipline you have have to endure. Verse 7, God's treating you as sons. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, you're illegitimate children, not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. So the question would be, oh, okay, so the Heavenly Father is disciplining us for our good, so it's going to feel good when he does that. Like, no, that's not what's going to happen. You are not going to like it. You are not going to like it. This is what the next verse says. Notice what it says. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. One of the best ways to pick up on this is discipline is to think, oh, this hurts. This is something I don't like. This is something I'd rather not go through. This is something that's not preferable to me. This is painful for now. So it's immediately painful, but it's ultimately fruitful. Discipline is immediately painful, but it's ultimately fruitful. God uses that, that immediate pain, that, that temporary pain, to, in you to create something that is ultimate and eternal and lasting and valuable that you can enjoy forever. And this is what we want to understand. This is what we want to remember and not be discouraged. So you'll notice these truths about it. It's a sign you're in the family. Discipline is a sign you're in the family. Discipline is evidence of love. Discipline is painful for a while, but discipline is fruitful forever. Elizabeth Elliot is, uh, is with the Lord. But when she was alive, she was a prolific writer. But she's been through a lot. Her first husband was martyred when she was just young. Her second husband died when she was still young. Whenever she would speak at a conference, she would, inv- she would introduce her third husband, and she would always say, he's feeling quite well today, because everybody always wondered if all of her husbands were going to die. She'd been through a lot of hardship. She said one day she was traveling in England, and she noticed there was a shepherd, a farmer, a sheep herder, and he was dipping his sheep in an antiseptic of some kind. The sheep had to be completely submerged in this, uh, in this liquid. And she said he had a black dog that would just bark, and a sheepdog, a black sheepdog that would force these sheep up into this tank. He said then he had a, a big wooden pallet, big wooden paddle, and when the sheep would try to raise up out of this antiseptic, they, the, 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 the shepherd would take this wooden paddle and jam his head back down under the water for a few seconds because the whole sheep had to be submerged. And she said... To the shepherd's wife, Elizabeth Elliot said, do they understand what's happening? 
And the shepherd's wife said, they don't have a clue what's happening. But it has to happen because it's good for them. And Elizabeth Elliot sat and watched that and she said, I understood that. God is a good shepherd. And all the things he does will not always be pleasant to us or allows to happen. or won't always feel like they're good. But he knows what we need. And he knows what's good for us. And he knows what will produce like a lasting fruit, what will be valuable, what will be helpful. And that's why I would suggest that you take Hebrews chapter 13 and that you lay Hebrews chapter 13 over your personal history and that you rethink the things that have happened to you and that you begin to recognize the powerful hand of God in your life disciplining you. And if you do that, what will happen is it will strengthen your courage and will help you realize God's presence in your life. Some of you might say, wow, you, I don't know if I have that many stories about how God provided for me. or I don't know if I have that many stories about how God directed me. But the closer you get to the Lord, the more you'll see those things. But one of the ways where it's really easy to see the hand of God, once your heart is really open to it, is in the areas where you sinned and God used his rebuke or his, or his reproof or his correction to train you and to teach you and to help you be more like Christ. And that's why Hebrews and chapter 12 says, For the moment, discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight the paths of your feet, so that what's lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Make sure a root of bitterness does not spring up in you. One day when the children were small, they were fussing, and I kept telling them to stop, and a big passel of them. I think there were four or five of them, five or six of them at the time. And they kept fussing with each other, and they kept arguing with each other. I'm like, if you don't stop, I'm going to spank all of you. And they didn't stop. So I said, all right, get line up. Line up. You're all going to get a spanking. So I was sitting in a chair. I had an ottoman in front of me. You're going to hate me after I finish this story. There's a little ottoman in front of me, and I lined them all up, the oldest to the youngest. You know, the youngest was, Han- was Hannah at the time, and Hannah was a tiny little baby still in a diaper. She hadn't really done anything wrong, so she wasn't really included. But all the other kids, there was Kyle and Holly and Chuck and Heidi, and then there was Hannah. Here comes Kyle. I said, bend over that ottoman. He bent over. I go, whack. I give him a whack. All right, go. He started crying, walks away. Holly, bend over the ottoman. She bends over. Whack. I give her a whack. She gets up crying, walks away. Chuck, bend over. Chuck bends over. Whack. I give him a whack. He cries, walks away. Heidi, bend over. Heidi bends over the ottoman. Whack. Here comes little Hannah. She doesn't deserve respect. She's a little tiny baby. She hasn't done anything wrong. But she's standing there watching everybody else go through the line. And I never forget, Lois is across the room smiling. Little Hannah just walks over, bends over the ottoman. I go, real soft, whack. She goes, whack, cries. She wanted to be a part of the family. I want to tell you something. What a wonderful thing it is to be a part of the family of God. For God to be your father. You're not alone out there. He's watching over you. And you got a good dad who's not going to let you get away with stupid stuff. And his discipline is perfect. And it's beautiful. And it's good. And he's smarter than you are. And he's more powerful than you are. And he knows what he's doing. And it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. 
And those are stories you want to tell your kids because they're going to do the same thing. I want you to, I want to pray. And then we have, don't, don't go. When I'm done praying for you today, we have something, a, little, a couple things that are very special for you. And we want you to enjoy those things. And so when I'm done praying, stay put for a moment. And you'll, see, well, you will, you'll hear a beautiful song from the back of our parking lot. So if you have some quietness after I pray, and then after the song is done, man, we want you to be honored with a little treat. Let me pray a blessing on you. Lord, may each of you leave today. Lord, may each of these who have come leave today with an understanding and a spiritual insight that no hardship can come into their life that hasn't first passed through the hands of God who works all things for good to fashion them into the image of Jesus Christ. And may God give each of them a great endurance in the process. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.